Greetings, and welcome to SLIS's Spring 2011 Colloquia, a program now in our 10th consecutive semester, brought to you by your School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. I am Dr. Anthony Bernier, and along with Dale David, our technical producer, we are offering this series as part of our school's vision to be recognized as a leader in graduate education in library and information science. Before I introduce today's colloquium speaker, a few announcements. First, please look for new colloquia presentations on the SLIS website throughout the spring term, where you will also find an archive of our previous recorded presentations on the SLIS homepage at sliseweb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as free podcasts. Details on how to access these presentations, either through RSS feeds or the iTunes store, can be found on the school's colloquia page. The SLIS colloquia can also be viewed via Blip TV, the popular video sharing website. The SLIS Blip TV channel can be accessed at sjsuslis.blip.tv. For our SLIS students, I would like to encourage you to visit a special website detailing the many social networking opportunities the school offers for you to connect virtually and otherwise with other SLIS students. It's our own SJSU SLIS social networking wiki where you'll find all your favorite networking resources, Ning, MySpace, LinkedIn, Google Groups, Flickr, Facebook, DGO, among others. The school also maintains another wiki called Cool Web 2.0 Tools, which offers a way for you to share and learn about the rapidly changing information resources you'll want to know about for classes, socializing, and a variety of other applications. While these previous announcements were intended primarily for our SLIS students, I also have a few items to share with everyone in the SLIS community. As you may know, the school maintains a robust profile at our professional association conferences and meetings. So I'd like to call your attention to the school's upcoming professional conference appearances at this spring's professional events. SLIS's reception at the Ontario Library Association, OLA, is scheduled for Thursday, February 3, 2011, from 6 to 8 o'clock p.m. at the Intercontinental Hotel in Toronto, Canada. SLIS's reception at the ACRL conference, the Association of College and Research Libraries, will be held on Thursday, March 31, 2011, from 4 o'clock to 6 p.m. at the Pyramid Club in Philadelphia. And SLIS will be back in Philadelphia hosting a luncheon reception at the SLA Conference Special Libraries Association on Monday, June 13, from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., also at Philadelphia's Pyramid Club. SLIS's ALA reception will be hosted on Saturday, June 25, from 4 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. in New Orleans. SLIS will host a reception at SAA Conference, the Society of American Archivists, on Thursday, August 25, 2011, from 5 to 7 p.m. on the 80th floor 
of the Mid-America Club in Chicago. And in addition to our famous receptions and social events, SLIS will also host exhibits at the May 2011 Canadian Library Association in Halifax, Nova Scotia, the World Library uh, and Information Congress, and IFLA General in San Juan, Puerto Rico in August, the American Society for Information Science and Technology, ACIST, in New Orleans, Louisiana in October. Of course, you will find all the details on these and upcoming events and experiences on our school's webpage. The faculty hopes you see, uh, to see you at these professional conferences and encourages you to take the opportunity to become better acquainted with us as well as to meet up with classmates, friends, and colleagues. We hope you enjoy our spring colloquia, uh, all these presentations, and thank you for helping make the series such a success. It is a pleasure today to introduce uh, colloquium speaker, Dr. Kristen Rebman, because not only is she a full-time member of our faculty, but because in 2000, before earning her doctorate in communication from the University of California, she also earned her MLIS right here at San Jose State. Her doctoral research explored the design of interventions to support critical multiliteracies among children participating in community-based informal learning environments. Dr. Redman joined the SLIS faculty in the fall of 2007 and teaches two of our core courses, Library 202, Information Retrieval, and our Library 285, a section on ethnographic research methods. Kristen's current research interests include studying relationships between information behavior and human development. Her presentation today is entitled Supporting Multiliteracies Via Collaborative Digital Storytelling Projects. So on behalf of the SLIS faculty, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Kristen Redman. Thank you so much, Anthony, for that really warm welcome. Uh, as he mentioned today, I'm talking today about supporting multiliteracies via collaborative digital storytelling projects. And this is uh, some research that I conducted during my doctoral uh, study at University of California, San Diego. Okay, so a little bit about me. Uh, Anthony mentioned that I did my doctoral work at UCSD, and my research was in the area of designing learning and interventions related to multiliteracies and new literacies and related also to information and media literacy specifically, which is of interest uh, to the information professions especially. So today I want to talk a little bit about multiliteracies both as design, as a design framework, as well as a set of practices that we encounter increasingly uh, in the field working with youth or just working with any kind of instruction. Uh, and, and as well as a theoretical framework. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk about digital storytelling as one form of programming that's already really well regarded uh, in terms of designing programming for youth in all types of inform informal learning environments, whether it's libraries or after-school programs or even in mm -hmm. classrooms. It's something that's been widely adopted. And so this uh, presentation today will take up sort of a little bit of a different angle on digital storytelling and emphasize collaborative activities associated with them. So I'm going to focus on a case study uh, with a little girl, Rebecca. She was six years old at the time. She's a little older now. 
Um, and I want, as I said before, I want to focus on the collaborative features of this particular case as it evolved over uh, one semester uh, at an after-school program. And I want to focus not only on the collaborative features, but the ways in which this uh, particular set of interactions in this digital story uh, supported multiliteracies and really sh shifted the terms for digital storytelling from one from uh, the formation of individual identity to joint imagining and joint production. Okay, so a little bit about multiliteracies. As I said, I want to focus both on it as design and as practice. And you can find some of the theory emerging in uh, some of the uh, researchers related to the New London group, and so it's sort of coming out of uh, linguistics uh, as well as some of the more critical approaches to doing literacy design. And so uh, some names in that area are like Alan Luke's work, Courtney Kasdan's work. Uh, so so you definitely have a movement in perspective in the field of literacy of one of being a traditional notion of print literacy to one of literacy being uh, a set of multiple practices, uh, ways in which we can leverage information uh, in new ways uh, if you're thinking about it from an information liter literacy perspective. So increasingly we're talking about, rather than literacy, we're talking about literacies. And you can even see kind of in the literature the way that uh, the term literacies has been adopted over time. It's sort of a a newer perspective on literacy. So when we think about multiliteracies theory, we're talking about uh, this understanding that there are multiple literacies out there and multiple modalities. Uh, individuals experience the world and learn uh, in new ways, particularly if uh, their learning is mediated by new forms of information and communication technologies. And so that's sort of when we're thinking about new literacy practices and literacies practices or practices of multiliteracy. So that's, that's the domain that we're talking about. Uh, but when we're thinking about design and so much of this work that is the critical side of literacy, uh, it's about being reflexive about sources of power and how to do design to support learning uh, is reflexive about that. Okay, so if you're interested in doing design for literacy and you want to work within this multiliteracies framework, you are interested in how power flows through uh, institutions, educational contexts. Uh, when you design roles for adults, uh, those roles are less traditional, less hierarchical than they would have been in the past. You have more fluid and dynamic roles for adults. And we're trying to infuse activities for children in these contexts with new information and communication technologies and to do that in new and innovative ways. So when we think about digital storytelling, we think about it as an activity that's already very well regarded uh, in after-school contexts, in learning contexts. And traditionally in the literature, it's dealt with in terms of children or young adults building narratives, uh, expressing their identity, their identity developing through uh, the development of the narrative. Okay, And so it's important and it has been really well regarded in terms of its ability to engage individuals in, in new practices. So you're sort of extending uh, their repertoires of practices at, practice as you, they relate to in new information and communication technologies because they're sort of using technologies to build these uh, digital narratives. And 
you also have this, this whole idea of it also helping individuals build mastery of existing literacies. So at the same time that they're encountering new, encountering new technologies and leveraging them in new ways, they're also uh, working toward mastery of their existing uh, reading, liter- reading and print literacies, uh, their narrative development, and of course, uh, the development of identity. Uh, Glenda Hole's work is really foundational in that area of identity formation uh, as it relates to digital st- storytelling as an activity. So this just quote from uh, Lambert said, this is all about creative self-discovery. There's something about this mix of photography and voice and music and words in this process that leads to the real breakthrough, the self-awareness that emerges through story. And so traditionally, the digital storytelling has been designed with the idea of individual identity emerging uh, in practice. So what happens when we sort of change the terms, change the form of interaction with digital storytelling to make it more of a collaborative activity where the emphasis isn't so much on developing individual identity, although that's important as well, but it's also about bringing bringing people together to build narrative uh, to build joint imagining rather than individual imagining. And so what would that look like? So if you're in an after-school program and you're doing a digital storytelling program or if you're in a library and you want to design a digital storytelling project, how is it going to change the terms for participation when you bring in uh, library staff, perhaps service learning students, uh, children, all at the same time. How, what is that going to look like? How will it be different? And so today I just want to focus a little bit on that and how it occurred for me and at my research site and this idea of bringing collaboration and joint imagining into digital storytelling. Okay, so as I said, this was a, a collaborative digital storytelling that developed uh, in the Fifth Dimension After School program. The Fifth Dimension After School program is no longer running, but it was developed by Michael Cole and Peg Griffin in 1987, and it ran for nearly 20 years uh, in different settings. Uh, I was fortunate enough to benefit uh, from studying in these research sites for about six or seven years to develop my doctoral research. And so this digital story, te- digital story involved children, undergraduate service learning students, and after-school staff. They all work together to build this digital story. And you could see collaboration at all points along the development of this digital storytelling, digital story, from the development of the narrative, which was between the little girl, Rebecca, six years old again, and three service learning students. Uh, at the moment of performance, uh, where you not only had Rebecca, the service learning students involved, but you also had other friends, other children in the fifth dimension, and after-school staff members also being involved in the actual performance uh, of the project, and in the production, and actually working with the technology to develop the narrative that could be uh, shown for everybody in, in in the after-school program. So Rebecca and the service learning students were involved in those production practices together as well. So a, a more traditional approach to digital storytelling would involve uh, a, probably an older child or even a teenager developing a digital story, learning the technology, uh, working with a, 
a software that would allow them to sort of build this digital narrative on their own and might have some technical support and technology-oriented support, but the actual uh, focus being on collaborative, collaboratively building this project at every step of the way would be less common. And so that's what makes this uh, project a little new and a little different. Now, I think importantly, when you have collaboration, you have to be mindful of the different uh, motivations and goals for each group of of people that were participating in the project. And so for the service learning students, they were undergraduate students at UCSD, and so they were mo very mindful of this idea of, of this digital story and their activity at the after-school site being about coursework. It was about their education. And they were tasked with developing activities and engaging with children in educative activities that would support their learning. And so they were interested in, okay, so how do I go about uh, having children be engaged enough with with me and my goals so that they'll voluntarily participate in an activity with me. And so a digital story was not something that the children had to do. I mean, this is a voluntary environment. So, they, so the undergraduates had to go about doing learning design uh, and learning about that, being mindful of the child's developmental uh, place where they were developmentally, educationally, uh, and their own goals for coursework. Uh, Rebecca also had her own goals for performance and having fun and wanting to guide activity in the after school program. One thing that emerged in this after school program was that you know children really uh, they didn't they everything was completely voluntary. They didn't have to do an activity if they didn't want to. And there there were also you know this idea of local uh, power and how it ran through the after-school program. The children wanted to be able to guide activities and have a strong uh, role in planning things. And, and Rebecca, for sure, definitely had that motivation to guide activity. And so the after-school staff also had their own set of goals. Uh, they had goals for uh, developing pro-social and educative programming, and so they wanted to bring in the undergraduate service learning students to come in and to help them with that, give them new ideas, uh, support them in their existing ideas, and have the children involved in something that they thought was educative and productive, uh, doing something that was that was probably uh, different than not doing anything or, or playing around, but you know, there's increasingly more and more goals for after school that adults have for children. And a lot of them involve how can we make after school more productive uh, educationally. Uh, and a lot of these activities have emerged out of that, those sets of goals. Okay, so digital storytelling, as I said before, it's been uh, developed and emerged over time. Uh, this uh, article, uh, Kadjur Bull and Alba, is a good uh, example of a very common approach. If this is something you might want to adopt in your own context, uh, this idea of writing an initial script, uh, planning and accompanying a storyboard, uh, all of these steps were very similar to how we developed our digital stories or how digital stories emerged and developed over time. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, that's an excellent source for you to turn to in terms of uh, seeing how specifically, the, what, what are the nuts and bolts of doing digital storytelling. And that's a really good resource for that. And along similar lines, that's how the digital stories proceeded 
in our context as well. And so this is just an excerpt of, field, of a field note from an undergraduate service learning student uh, discussing how the activity progressed. Uh, and she writes, the next step was to create a storyboard out of it so that we would know how to film our shots and scenes. Rebecca eagerly ran to get a piece of construction paper and a huge basket of crayons. I drew three big boxes with lines adjacent to them on each side of the paper, setting up for a scene, six scene storyboard. Rebecca drew the pictures in the boxes as she sees her movie unfolding. Harmony and I sat next to her and dictated each scene of her story back to her so she could draw it. We would invariably ask her questions about what was being portrayed in her drawings and she would explain in great detail which character was which, who was who, and what they're doing in each particular scene. So you can see that's a picture of Rebecca creating her storyboard for her digital storytelling project. And this is just one excerpt of just giving you an idea of what the narrative that Rebecca actually came up with. Uh, she started telling me her story. Again, this is an excerpt from a field note. This is what she said. Sarah and Zoe are really rich, and they decide to go downstairs and watch TV in their movie theater, but they couldn't find it, and they figured out someone stole it. They wanted to call the Secret Service, but first they went to the Boys and Girls Club and asked John, an after-school program coordinator. John couldn't find it, so they called the Secret Service. They found the robber, and he was watching TV on their TV on the couch. The robber went to jail, and Helen and Zoe gave the Secret Service presents. <laughs> and so a fantastical story that Rebecca developed, but in it, you can see that it incorporates her, her life, her motivations, and her relationship to the after-school program, which was located in a boys and girls club, I should mention. So her digital story definitely has this aspect of identity formation, articulating that, but also through her interaction with the, with the undergraduate service learning students and her bringing in uh, the after-school site coordinator, you can see that there's other things going on as well. Uh, performance being one really important role. Uh, Rebecca was definitely taking her role as a Secret Service seriously, saying the cutest things to try to interrogate the robbers. She asked one, where were you last night? And did you take these nice people's TV? <laughs> then, before I got the chance to play my role, another little girl came up to us, saw what we were doing, and asked if she could be part of it. Her name is Misha, and she asked specifically if she could play the role of Ugly, the robber. I gladly handed over the sign hanging around my neck that read Ugly. And so you can see through this undergraduate's uh, narrative uh, that there's a strong desire for, on the part of Rebecca, to, to engage in performance, uh, guiding the activity uh, every step of the way. She's really engaged with the project, which is, I think it, it's, it's uh, well understood that digital storytelling is very engage, engaging to children, and, and they engage, enjoy engaging in these activities. You can see this is a picture of Rebecca escorting the ugly thief to jail. So when we think about learning, we think about, uh, about the digital story independent of these ideas of identity articulation and uh, thinking about it uh, beyond the performative and engaging aspects of it for Rebecca, we need to focus on, okay, so what did she actually 
do? What, what kind of practices did she get, engage in? Which ones were new? Uh, which ones were extending her, her uh, existing uh, repertoires of practice, if you want to put it uh, that way? Uh, so as Rebecca participated in this digital story, she engaged in practices related to reading and writing. We can see her engaging in the storyboarding, uh, developing uh, a narrative, uh, in a new way, and you can see down below this idea of a digital narrative as opposed to just telling a story. She's able to tell and articulate a story. The undergraduates help her or scaffold her in that way in terms of articulating the narrative, uh, but producing it in a digital way uh, adds additional modalities to her ability to interact. Uh, she's engaged in performance uh, in, in this idea of dramatic storytelling, provides another sort of rich, one reason why digital storytelling is such a rich kind of activity because it has this, uh, incorporates dramatic performance, it, it can incorporate narrative development. Uh, she's building specialized vocabulary with the use of the technology uh, uh, and the production of the digital story itself, all with help from the undergraduate uh, service learning students and uh, her after school site coordinators. This idea that a six-year-old is really accomplishing something in interaction that she could not uh, accomplish by herself on her own if she was doing her own digital story. This idea of collaboration is really powerful in this idea that she accomplished something really rich and really different in interaction. And just the, the skills and competencies associated with collaboration, I think, are in and of themselves important, important to point out. Okay, so collaborative digital storytelling. So what? Uh, I think importantly, it shifted the terms for activity. Uh, you have interaction uh, between groups associated with the after-school program increasing and changing. And so uh, you have a staff person at the after-school program uh, that wouldn't ordinarily be participating in uh, uh, the children's activities that they're engaged with would be more in an authoritarian or, a, or an authority-loaded kind of role. Uh, but with Rebecca guiding activity, uh, you have a different kind of uh, role for the adult, a more fluid role. And that's, that's really a key feature of a multi-literacies approach design. You're changing roles for adults to the benefit of the adults and the children. Uh, he's able to relate to her in new ways. Uh, so when we went collaborative with the digital story, we had to be permeable to the diverse motivations and goals. It couldn't just be about Rebecca. It had to meet the needs of the undergraduates, meet the needs of the site coordinators as well. Uh, but when we did that, when we moved from a digital storytelling model uh, for individual development to one of joint imagining, uh, we, it opened up new opportunities for learning, new opportunities for development, and new opportunities for design and programming at the site itself. And so who, who benefited? I would say that they all benefited. Uh, as I mentioned before, you have these trans transactions between children, service learning students, and after school staff uh, being uh, taking part and occurring in new ways. So. Uh, you don't have, uh, you have this levering, leveling of, of hierarchies uh, between the after-school co coordinator and the children in new ways that you, you wouldn't necessarily before. Uh, and we have a, this profound sharing uh, of 
learning and development, the, under, the undergraduates, uh, they learned and developed in terms of understanding uh, Rebecca and the children of the after school program and how to best do design for them, engage in design practices for them. Uh, we have expertise sort of changing hands, the expertise of the uh, undergraduates working with the after school site coordinators, uh, they're exchanging expertise. Uh, but also, Rebecca is benefiting from the expertise of the undergraduates. She wants to work with them. They're college students. They have a, undergraduates had a different kind of uh, relationship with the children than the after-school site coordinators. A really productive relationship. They, they, they're almost like children that are, you know, that are have grown up to the kids. They just have a very strong. Uh, affinity for the undergraduates and so they can sort of interact with the children in new and exciting ways. And I think that the, the terms for interaction uh, again change as I mentioned before. Uh, Rebecca was able to guide uh, the interaction and activity, uh, power structures changed in interaction, and designs for activity changed hands. You have the undergraduates uh, infusing an after-school program with uh, new kinds of activities, opportunities, and potential for uh, programming that the after-school coordinator hadn't thought about before. So thinking about this digital story and this idea of, of taking a sort of well-regarded form and sort of tweaking it by adding this element of collaboration, uh, I, I think that it's it's important to mention that, that doing this and the evidence that we, that we gleaned from it uh, was in agreement with other perspectives that call attention to collaboration and its strong relationship to learning. We can think of uh, Starnbacher's notion of border or boundary crossing, uh, ideas of zones of proximal development out of Vygotsky or brokering in communities of practice coming out of Wenger. So we have this idea, the strong idea and tradition in uh, the field of learning, uh, of the real strong relationship between collaboration, expertise, and learning, and how it can be productive. And I think that adding this, this dimension of collaboration to digital storytelling is just one more example of that, that sen sensibility. So I think that at, at its most basic, this presentation is really about the story of the benefits. It's really a story about the benefits of joint production and reimagining an already regarded, uh, well-regarded form of programming, which is digital storytelling. And I'm sure there's others out there, but. So thank you. And thank you to Michael Cole and the Laboratory of Com Comparative Human Cognition for supporting my work. And San Jose State University. I don't have a question. I just have a comment that um, this, is, this is something that is also being done with teenagers who are designing book trailers um, or digital book talks. Um, and I'm just fascinated with, with what I heard you say. Um, it gives me some more ideas about how to work with kids in that, in that particular format. Thank you so much. And... Uh, Glenda Hull's work with teenagers might be really relevant uh, to your study as well. And definitely uh, teenagers, they, they, Rebecca is so young. It's just amazing what she was able to do in collaboration. But with older students, you just have so much 
they have so much more competency in so many of these areas that, that what they can do is really, really remarkable. Teenagers have grown up in a digital world. And so right. they're able to work with the various technologies. And they also are in really close contact with their peers. So they're used to working in a collaborative environment as well. Right, right. And so much of what they can do collaboratively and perhaps even in a distributed context to, to build narratives at a, at a distance is a really exciting area to explore. I wonder if you could speak to um, digital storytelling in a public library setting. Did you, when you were doing your research, did you run across anybody that was able to actually perform with all the technology needs in a public library setting in a program? Now, I know that there is a UC Links program that's an after-school program out of UCLA, and uh, the investigator there. Uh, her last name is Gutierrez, but I don't remember her first name. <laughs> oh, it's Chris. It's actually Chris. <laughs> it's Chris Gutierrez. And I think she might have done digital storytelling. Her, her after-school program was uh, similar to a fifth dimension, but it was a UC Link site. And I do believe she might have done some digital storytelling in the after-school program in a public library. So you might look up her work. One of the subtexts, uh, one of the rich subtexts of what you're what you presented here is really a sort of unpacking and deconstruction of power relationships across mm-hmm. across the field and how its power is produced and reproduced and so forth. I'm curious if you might have any insights to read back across uh, the digital experience into more of the legacy experience where um, we don't have a digital world in a lot of everyday places now mm-hmm. uh, and what that might say to the way we can unpack power in terms of uh, face-to-face storytelling experiences? Okay, so this idea of engaging in uh, face-to-face, well, this is a face-to-face project. I mean, they're, they're in, the, in an after-school program, and they videotaped it in person, but this idea of transferring that to a digital space is, is what, really what you're, you're talking about, correct? Either way. And what it says about using uh, digital narratives as a way of leveling power structures in certain ways, and, and that's really what is that the heart of what you're what you're asking? Well, whether the performance takes place within a digital experience, or if it's transferred into a digital experience, or mm-hmm. if it doesn't have any digital experience whatsoever, power is still being produced. And I'm just curious right. if you could imagine reading back across the, the lack of digital experience. Exactly, that the, the medium itself hardly matters in terms of the articulation of, of identity and, and that, that power emerges in that, in that engagement, right? I think that what's interesting, though, about the, the technology and it being technology-mediated mediated is this idea that when you form new competencies related to new information and communication technologies, your potentiality for action out in the world changes. And, it, and it's, it's those new information and communication technology-based literacies that when, when individuals learn them, they have new potentials out that are perhaps transferable, if you want to say the word transfer, <laughs> to other contexts. Right, and so once I, dev- I learn how to articulate myself in a digital context, 
that opens up new possibilities for me in other contexts as well.